0: Well, if you've uh, a Bible with you this evening, please keep it open at 1 Samuel 7. It will be a great help to me and hopefully to you tonight as we spend time in God's Word together. Over the summer break, one of the great things about studying theology or being a student is you get a five-month summer. You don't know what to do with it when it uh, finishes. But over the summer, I took a day trip to London. That's right, a day trip. We left Dublin Airport at 5am in the morning, and we landed back at 10 that evening. It was a busy day, but part of our day, we did a tour of Buckingham Palace. Something you can only do for 10 weeks over the summer holidays, when the Queen herself is away on her summer holidays. But here I was, a little boy from Lurgan, standing in the grandest of buildings, And as you head round, it's an amazing tour to look at all the incredible artwork, to see all the historical artifacts that are placed within the palace. You have your own little tour guide as a headset that they give you. You can see the white drawing rooms, the grand staircase, the picture gallery, the throne room, and, in my opinion, most impressive of all, the ballroom. But all the way around, even though I was surrounded by many other terrorists, I thought to myself, I really don't belong here. If the Queen was there, I am not great enough to have such a presence with her. I was in my T-shirt that had a coffee stain on it from my early morning airport run. I don't speak well enough or pronounce my words ably enough To speak to the Queen. I think the Queen of England may struggle with my thick Lurgan accent. See, the palace is made for kings and queens, and simply a human like me, well, I felt like I belonged outside the gates, or at least that's how I felt. And sadly, I think this evening some of us think the same when it comes to God. We think, how could I ever come into his presence? How could I ever stand before him? How could I ever be great enough to deserve my place in his glory? In the evenings here in First Port of Down, you have been taking time to go through the book of 1 Samuel. And anyone who was here last week might remember that chapter 6 ends with such a question. Chapter 6, verse 20 says, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? This holy God, to whom will the ark go up from here? You see, in the story, the Israelites have been a real mess. I know the book of Ruth is in between, but the book of First Samuel comes after the chaos of Judges. The people, they find themselves in this deep downward spiral of sin, which they cannot get themselves out of. And the book of Judges ends with that horrific statement in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How were a people like this ever meant to stand before a holy and just God? How could people like this ever be faithful to a God whom they just, when they just live for themselves? In the book of Samuel is one of great hope tonight for us. Hannah, in the beginning of the book, is given a son who she calls Samuel, and she prays this great prayer in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God." A prayer filled with both delight and dismay. And then begins this battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. And the Israelites, they use the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky charm in battle they leave it out on the battlefield in expectation for god to win the battle for them and for them to be able to get away with doing nothing but god lets the philistines capture the ark and this ark of the one true holy god of israel is placed in a temple of false pagan gods and plagues fall upon the philistines and they actually end up giving the ark back to the people of israel the Philistines—they don't like the power it displays. They don't like what's been happening to them since they've got it. God has managed to defeat the Philistines, and He didn't need to use the Israel army to do it. So the ark is returned. But what a messy picture we pick up tonight, and we see for the people of Israel—they have sinned against God. They have mishandled His ark. They have abused it as a lucky charm in battle. And we must think to ourselves, what is going to happen to these people? How are they ever going to be able to stand and live with this ark and within God's presence? And I hope tonight as we look at 1 Samuel, they've just come on the screen, that we're going to be able to recognize and see three things in our passage. That firstly, Israel are called to true repentance. Secondly, that Israel experience the true grace of God. And then thirdly and finally, that Israel remember truly God's goodness to them. So firstly, Israel are called to true repentance. This week I wonder, did you happen to see in the news the story of how someone has sadly stolen some of the ashes and defaced a photo of Gandhi on what would have been his 150th birthday? A man that through peaceful means tried to fight for the Indian people that they should rule themselves instead of being under British rule. And I don't mention Gandhi to make us think that we need to be more like him, however commendable some of his attributes were. But simply to make the point tonight that it is at times of great mess and of great need that leaders stand up. That throughout history, Even this week, as I reflected on Gandhi's life and what he stood for, I was reminded that it's when life is not going well that true leaders stand up. Here, we've just thought about how the people of Israel have got themselves into a real mess. They are not living as they are meant to live. And we find them here lamenting before the Lord. They feel a real grief for what it is they have done. And it is in this situation that Samuel stands up. And what does he say? Well, he calls them to true repentance. Verse 3, please read along with me. It says, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Astaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. He's saying to the people here, if this is real, if you really want to come back to God, then you have to serve the one true God and him alone. You're going to have to put away these lesser and foreign gods. You can't keep living as you've been living. You need to come back to the one true God of Israel, the great rescuer of his people from Egypt. He needs to be the object of your worship and adoration again. Samuel has not missed his opportunity here. He's not pondered on his words. And these people are called to return to God. Samuel knows how far their hearts have been away from him. And true repentance means a turning of heart towards God again for all the people of Israel. And to do this, they need to put away all the other things that they have been worshipping And this includes the foreign gods in which they have replaced the true God of Israel with. In the 20 years previous, they have taken up a Canaanite way of living. And as part of that, they have started to worship their lesser gods and forgotten about the true God. But Samuel calls them here to turn their hearts back to God. A call for their hearts to be exclusively God's and his alone. And this they seem to do. In verse 4 we read of them putting away the Baals and the Asterisks. They begin to serve God again. And Samuel gathers them together to pray over all of Israel. And the Israelites, they confess their sin to God. End of verse 6 says that they cry out, We have sinned against the Lord. The Israelites are called to true Repentance. And today I think the word repentance has just become another church word for us. Something that we hear every now and again. But I think as we hear it, we have lost some of the deep challenge and the wonder which comes with it. J.I. Packer helpfully describes the word repentance like a soldier hearing the commands to halt, quick turn and march. No soldier ever argues or misunderstands those commands. And so this is helpful helpful for us tonight as we think about true repentance. You see, time and time again, as we read through the Bible, when we read of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, it acts like a mirror to our own hearts. So quickly, they were able to leave God, to forget all about him, to repent, to worship lesser gods in his place, to worship other things in his place. And this is not the Christian life that we've been called to at all. Calvin so adequately sums it up when he describes the human heart as an idol factory. If you think of a production line in a factory, products are constantly being produced at rapid speed And so it is with our hearts this evening. On a constant rate, our hearts are worshipping other things. And the list of things that we worship are endless. We can worship everything and everything in our life. We worship our houses, our family, our church, our cars, our sex life, our friendships, our reputation. Our bank balance, or you fill in the gap. There are so many different things, aren't there, that we could not imagine living our lives without. There are too many things that can take the place of God in our lives, too many things that distract us from worshipping him fully and him alone. And so I think as we read 1 Samuel 7, there is a response required of us, We too are called to true repentance. And so often in the church today, we think we repent. But actually, we just put something away for a little while. And then we take it out again when we think nobody's watching. If we think back to Buckingham Palace, the tour is extensive. And it's extensive of the rooms that they want you to see. Workers are strategically placed to stop you being able to get into rooms that they don't want you to see into. Doors are locked. Rooms are closed off. And this is what we're like tonight with our hearts to God. We have shut off many different rooms in our hearts. We've tried to hide our sin away from him. We lock it in the cupboards. We put it under the stairs when we think God isn't looking. Instead, though, what we're called to is that we're meant to give God full access of our hearts and our lives. He knows all of our sins, so there is no point us trying to hide it from him. Instead, the call tonight is to remember God's grace and mercy. To remember his grace to us, because it's not dependent on us being perfect. Because actually the fact that we're not perfect is the reason we need it at all. We need to hear that command, don't we? To halt, to quick turn, and to march away from our sin. I think we can find great encouragement from the rest of the narrative as we do this. The second thing we see in the passage is that Israel experienced the grace of God. We pick up the story again in verse 7. As the people of Israel have gathered with Samuel and they have prayed to the Lord... And the Philistines have heard news of this and they take this as their prime opportunity to attack. And the Israelites were greatly afraid. And they cried out to Samuel for him to pray to the Lord on their behalf, for him to intercede for them, to, to pray to God that he would protect them and that he would defeat the Philistine army. And so Samuel, acting on behalf of the people, takes a lamb and makes a sacrifice before the Lord and cries out to God. And God, in his mercy, hears his cry and he thunders against the Philistines who were the enemies of God and his people. He throws the Philistines into confusion and the Israelites are able to defeat the Philistine armies. And they chase them and they attack them as far as Beth Carr. Earlier in 1 Samuel account, in Hannah's prayer, we read these words in chapter 2, verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them will he thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the moment where the words of Hannah's prayer have become true. The Lord has thundered against his enemies. Their strongholds have been broken. And this should come as no surprise to us here tonight. Remember the time when the Philistines had possession of the ark. How even just the very presence of God in their midst was enough to defeat them. He doesn't need an army to fight his battles for him. And here again, the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, displays his incredible power for us. No earthly power, no kingdom, no army, no government is able to withstand his incredible power this evening. But there's also a show of God's goodness and his grace to the people of Israel tonight. They have truly disobeyed him. They have turned to foreign gods. But here God again rescues them from the threat of attack and now it's easy for us tonight to fall into the trap of seeing this as a works thing that God only acted because the people of Israel repented or that Israel made the first move here or something along those lines but actually we need to think so much bigger of God he works and he wills as he pleases he is God after all And in his incredible sovereignty and grace, he sent Samuel to the people to act as his judge and to intercede for them. It was God who called the people to repentance. He showed his grace in allowing them to come back to him and not treating them as they deserve. God rescues his people. He shows incredible faithfulness to a truly unfaithful people. And grace to those who, of themselves, would never be able to turn from their sin without him. And so tonight, as we sit here in Port Down, we can find great encouragement in this passage. In the very mess of our own lives and our own hearts, God does not treat us as we deserve. This is the moment of great despair for the people of Israel, and God intervenes and rescues them. And so it is with us this evening. In our great despair of the sin and the idols of our hearts, God rescues us. He sends his son into the world to die in our place so that we can be in a perfect relationship with him again as his people. Jesus is the great sacrificial lamb who dies in our place, who takes the punishment for our sin that we deserve. God's grace tonight should fill us with great hope, joy, and thankfulness. And even in our life, we should have much hope, as sometimes we can too so often feel that we are surrounded by enemies on every side. Our world, and even just Northern Ireland, is not always an easy place to be a Christian. What's going to happen with Brexit? Are these new laws going to come into place in the coming weeks? Every time we turn on our televisions and look at the news, some horrific event has taken place. The Christian viewpoint is being thrown to the trash time and time again. But it's then in those moments when we feel that the enemies of the world are gathered around us as God's people, it's then that we remember the great God that we serve. And how much we feel in despair, we've got to remember who our God is. He doesn't need us as human agents to fight his battles. And that's me in no way taken away from the protests or from us fighting on his behalf at Stormont. Because I was there as well. But tonight in the struggles when we feel the enemies surrounding around us we've got to remember that we have almighty God on our side who can defeat his enemies in an instant. As we are surrounded by a culture that throws Christianity to the trash, we need to remember the great sovereignty of God again for in our lives and in our world. The third and the, the final thing that we see in this passage is that Israel remember God's goodness to them. God has defeated the Philistine army and Samuel makes a memorial for the people. This chapter, First Samuel 7, marks the end of a, a section in the book of 1 Samuel which began in chapter 4 and finishes here in chapter 7. And anyone who's paying super close attention to the book of 1 Samuel will remember that in chapter 4 the Ebenezer is talked about at the very beginning of the chapter. And now there's debate over if it's the same stone or not. But anyhow, here in chapter 4, as we look back on the story, the stone of help, which is what Ebenezer means, at this place, the people of Israel were not helped. But now in chapter 7, they remember God's goodness as he does help them defeat their enemies. And it's interesting to note what Samuel says here. He says, Till now the Lord has helped us. Samuel remembers God's great help to his people. But we can also read those words as a question Will the Lord continue to help his people? Whatever the case, the Philistines remain outside of the land all the days of Samuel. And Samuel continues to judge the people. He continues to remind them about the goodness of God. He continues to intercede for them. He helps them to live wholeheartedly for the one true God of Israel. And as I was preparing this week, I imagined the scene of a young child being brought up and told the great rescue story of how God saved his people from the attack of the Philistines as they looked upon this rock and said, Dad, what is that? that filled me with great hope. After I pray this evening, we're going to sing the song together, Come thy Fount. And in the second verse, it says these words, Here I raise my Ebenezer, Hither by thy help I've come, And I hope by thy good pleasure, Safely to arrive at home. Brothers and sisters, tonight, let us remember God's goodness to us. We don't remember just a mere rock tonight. We remember the living rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place. He is our rock and our salvation. He is the rock in which we can build our lives upon, even in a world that seems to be crumbling beneath our feet. He is the firm and steady foundation which will never give way. Just like Hannah said in her prayer, we can cry out, There is no rock like our God. Daily we must remember the grace and the goodness of God to us until he calls us home as his people. We need to be people who are putting our sin to death and repenting from it. We need to be people who turn back to God on a daily basis. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, we live for his glory until he takes us home. And until we enter his glorious kingdom and palace. When we see the true king of kings and lord of lords. And we stand before his ultimate throne and worship him as king forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father God, we do come before you tonight and thank you that we can indeed trust in jesus as our rock and our salvation father we thank you for your incredible grace displayed for us in the death and the resurrection of your son father we thank you that because of him we can be your people and we can enter into a relationship with you again father would you help us this week to live as your people to love and to serve well father help us to take the story of first samuel 7 with us father help us to be a people who repent daily and often of our sins and as we do this help us to remember your great goodness and mercy to us now and for all time we pray this in jesus name amen